uh, I would say help them to dream big jobs. Why not? You know, yeah. I want to be the CEO. Well, that's great. Let's let's map like how do you get there? Yeah. And you know, big challenges. I want to do this. It needs to give them that butterflies on their stomach for them to learn. Welcome to another episode of our Continuous Improvement Podcasts. I am Rick Hyland with RLG International. As always, our purpose is to provide current and future C-suite leaders the mindset, skill set, and tool set to become leaders of continuous performance improvement. Very excited about today's podcast and today's topic and the three guests we have on. Today's topic is learning from and promoting women in leadership. Let's look at the data. Statistically, women hold under a quarter or 24% of senior leadership roles across the world. Yet, today, more than 50% of the graduates of four-year colleges are women. 50% of law school graduates are women. And now, uh, 40% of those graduating from the top 10 business schools are female. Women earn more degrees than men, 60% compared to 40, yet they are still underrepresented in leadership roles. Of top executive surveys, 60% of the top executives feel women have to do more to promote, promote them and prove themselves than men do. 54% feel women face gender discrimination as an obstacle for leadership. And 43% say women aren't encouraged from an early age for leadership. And 34% say women are held to higher standards than men. In this episode, we're going to have three industry leaders share their perspective on leadership and on this diversity issue. We have Sue Sharp, who's an executive with Sinclair Oil Corporation, Karina Gilwater, who's an executive with Southwestern Energy in Houston, Texas, and Ana Jimenez, who's a longtime executive with RLG International. I'm going to be asking each guest about their leadership journey and leadership lessons. And then I'm going to ask him a couple questions on how we can improve this ratio of women in leadership positions. I think you're going to really enjoy their insights. Our next guest is Susan Sharp. Uh, Susan, welcome. How are you today and where are you today? Rick, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm happy to be part of this podcast. And I'm actually in my office in Salt Lake City today. Oh, awesome. It's a beautiful day. And, and Susan, just for a little bit of background, is the Vice President of Operational Excellence with Sinclair Oil Corporation. And where I first got to know her, she's the former VP of HSE for BP Downstream Business. So, Susan, I asked you to join on this part of the podcast because you're well known in the energy sector and have made, uh, have had several leadership roles and made a leadership difference in everyone you've um, been. And I've known you for over 15 years, but I know you've been in the industry for over 30 years. So, if you don't mind, Susan, let's start with your leadership experience first, and let me ask you a couple questions. What experiences, either good or bad, have helped define your personal leadership style? Uh, Great question, Rick. And I think, you know, in looking back at my 30-plus year career, I'd say it's the culmination of all of them, you know, good and bad, that shape my style. And and actually, it continues to shape my style today. Yeah. So really, in my career, I've been really, really lucky. And I've had some great bosses and leaders who I was fortunate to learn from. And when I reflect back um, when I was working for these leaders is when I delivered the most and I really enjoyed what I was doing. Yeah. And so, you know, those were the people that I learned from that I knew when I was, you know, really 
in the zone, if you will, yeah. was was what I wanted to be able to be as a leader as well. And, and so are there some common traits or uh, style, uh, leadership style issues or that you can pick out of all yeah, that? Yeah, there are. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and some of the main ones that I always go back to is really valuing something different than what you are. So, and what you bring to the table. So valuing diversity of gender, um, thought, definitely expertise. You know, we're in a complex industry and, and style. So, you know, really valuing everybody's individual contribution to a team. Okay. And, you know, I surrounded myself with people who were not like me. Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example of that. You know, I'm not somebody who is going to be into necessarily the engineering details of something, but I'm going to be steering the ship and looking at a, at a, a more broad view of where we're, where we're headed. And I think you get better results this way. Yes. And what it also helps your team do is you, they learn to respect that diversity, different styles, um, and, and really they can reach out to each other to, to help, you know, the team um, be more balanced and really deliver um, better results for a company and deliver more value. So, and so everybody learns. Can I ask you a question about that before you move on? Because this is a, I still see this out in industry a little bit that that, that might be threatening uh, to have smarter or different thinking or style people on your team. What, what, would, what advice would you give to leaders on why this is so important to have diversity, gender, thought, expertise, and style on your team? Well, um, you know, I've been in, in heavy industry, heavy, yeah. complex industry, and you just can't know it all. everything. <laughs> and it, that's kind of a dangerous place to be, actually, if you really do think that you know everything that's that's not a good place to be because you're not managing your risks well. Yeah. You can't possibly know everything. And, you know, by having people around you that bring, you know, maybe a different expertise, a different perspective. Yeah. Or a different lens on problem solving. I mean, what you get as, a, as your solutions is just so much more valuable than, you know, if you were to all be looking at something from the same perspective. Yeah. I like the way you answered that. That, that speak, I think that will speak to a lot of analytical or otherwise type of leaders that it's a better way to, a more diverse way to manage risk, get a number of different insights and styles and ways to look at all the risks in our heavy, in, heavy industry. So thank you for that. Okay, carry on. Well, what other? Absolutely. Um, and the other thing I think it does, I think back to some of the, the folks that I've had as part of my team, and they've been able to help me in, let's just take, let's say, you know, chemical engineering, extremely technical issue. Maybe it was about, you know, inspections of mechanical integrity. But on the other hand, they were probably not as comfortable um, from a, a social standpoint or the people, the people side of things. And being able to have a direct conversation with your team members saying, look, I'm not comfortable in this technical side. And chances are you're probably not very comfortable with the social side, the people side. 
And actually having that um, conversation where you both help each other is incredibly valuable because you both grow and learn. Great point. Yeah, I really like that. Okay, what other, I, I distracted you a little bit. What else, what, what other lessons, leadership lessons? Oh, no, no. It's, there's, some, there's some basics, I think, too, um, in addition to having a diverse team. Is these are things I think you have to do no matter no matter what, and it's establishing you know trust, respect, um, room to do creative problem solving, and most importantly to um, creating that safe place for your team to fail. Not everything is going to go right. Not right. everything's going to go right the first time. And I think that's really, really important because I don't think a team can function honestly and become a high-performing team without it. Yeah. Any examples that come to mind and of that? Abs- absolutely. Okay. Um, I think something relatively recent. Um, when I joined Sinclair, I, I joined a – I had a team that existed on paper. Okay. It was an org chart. But – Coming together as a team, they weren't functioning as a team. It was individuals. And, you know, establishing that trust and the respect for what people brought to the table, because it was a diverse team, very diverse ways of thinking, and having to create um, the safe place um, to be open, to admit that maybe that approach wasn't really working for us, really, um, I think, got the team um, solidified as a high-performing team and one that the entire organization valued. Okay. When they spoke up, they were, they were speaking from a position of, of expertise and value in the organization. So I think that, was, that one, to me, was, a, was one that was one of the more recent examples that I have. But, you know, I go back to when I started my career in, in 1987, I went to work for Chevron and this okay. was in Southern California and I was a construction engineer building service stations. Okay. On so, the retail side. Um, we had it on the retail side. Okay. And Chevron had a situation where they couldn't make the numbers work to build a service station using their typical model, which was having a general contractor or a construction manager oversee um, the building of a service station in Baldwin Park, California. I remember this really well. (laughs) But we could get the numbers to work if me being a brand new engineer, one of us would function in the role of a construction manager. So I raised my hand and I was given, you know, brand new right out of school, but I was trusted by the boss to go and give this a try and use my own style and my own way to do creative problem solving and actually make this thing a success, which it was. We finished early and under budget. Mm. And, you know, I was out there every day um, managing the trades, um, you know, from, you know, the the union steel workers who built the canopies to, you know, everybody else from the plumbing contractor who did all the piping uh, for, for the tanks. And so it was, it was a fantastic experience, but it, it's something to advise that I would give, especially 
especially to females, would be don't hesitate. Raise your hand. Yes. You know, get yourself out there. But, I, you know, really I'd recommend it. I'd recommend it to anybody. So let me just clarify that. Did you have any construction experience before that? A, a little bit. A little I bit. Say okay. a lot. You know, when I was okay. going through my engineering degree, I um, have a civil engineering degree. I had some construction experience with uh, internships that I had. Okay. But, um, you know, I knew that I could figure it out. I could figure out how to put together um, a plan, a project with a critical path, and, and it just kind of grew, grew from there. Well, why I'm asking is because, you know, we've been, as you know, we've been studying a lot and exper- having experience working with mega capital projects. And to cut to the quick, the basic one of the basic learnings in that is that we're overvaluing expertise and undervaluing open communicative what we would call great leadership and uh to these points that you're speaking to today and um you know we've got case study after case study when we've got a great leader despite you know maybe not the best feed or maybe not the best plan yet but that builds a trusted partnership open communication clear you know clear communication and problems that these things matter and they can deliver big mega projects on time versus just picking the most experienced guy in the room and uh, maybe missing some key leadership capabilities that you're talking about here today. So our own experience and research shows the same thing, even at a mega scale, how important these leadership characteristics are. So thank you for sharing Absolutely. that. <laughs> Sorry, you know, I there's really another, um... <laughs> yeah, carry on. There's, well, there's, there's some other, you know, I, I found myself in some, some funny um, situations in my career, I, having done environmental work, um, some, you know, for a good amount of time on the cleanup side, you know, I was typically coming into a situation where people weren't exactly happy with the company. Okay. But, but part of that becomes you are the face. You are the person, not a BP, not a Sinclair. You're, you're Sue Sharp. And, you know, the company trusted me to actually become that, that face. And, and, and also the communities, um, there's a situation, um, long time ago, working in Paulsboro, New Jersey, which is a small town, uh, just across the river from the Philadelphia airport, but there was, um, you know, groundwater contamination and they weren't too happy with us when we first, uh, arrived, but you became that face. So it's not just with your team that you need to create that trust it's with it's with communities as well yeah and um you know we were able to really turn the turn the situation around and have actually um done some really great work with the mayor and the town there to revive the economy for that town and so but it was all it all started with being there and um being the face being a person and somebody that they could pick up the phone and call. And, and it's the same thing with your team. Yeah. They need to be able to reach you. They, you need to be able to give them your time. Great examples. Great. So valuing diversity of gender and thought, expertise and style, and then also the importance of trust and respect for creative problem solving and a safe place to fail. Okay. Anything else on leadership lessons before we move on? Um, you know, I think that the, as a leader, you deliver success through your team. And, and this is one of the most important things I think that people should realize. It's not about you. 
It's about you making your team successful because otherwise they don't grow. And when they're successful, you're automatically successful as well. And um, safety is a great example of this. Um, when you coach an organization to become safe, your immediate team, safety team, becomes successful. But even better yet, you have a much bigger impact of an entire organization becoming successful. So making others successful, team, organization, whatever it might be, to me is what it's all about. Great example. It's not about you. It's about the success of the team and the goal and the mission. Very good. Okay, Sue, I, I know you believe this as well, but feedback is the breakfast of champions and it can shape us uh, in our careers. So what's the best feedback or advice you've ever received on how to lead? Oh, my gosh. I, I, I actually got it twice, Rick. Okay. I got it really early on when I was um, one of my first engineering jobs in college was um, my mentor. And he told me one of the first things he said, he said, Sue, it's okay to say, I don't know. Don't mm -hmm. guess. Say, I don't know. And then you can always get back to somebody. And about 10 years later, one of my mentors gave the same advice because it was the advice is what he had learned. And it's okay to say, you don't know. And in the businesses that we're in, once again, um, you can't know everything. But by saying you don't know, it allows that safe place to fail, it means the boss doesn't have all the answers and you get help from other people and you learn. So I think, you know, being, and the older I get, the easier it gets, easier it is to say it. Um, and it really is somewhat liberating because you don't, don't feel like you have to know everything because you just plain don't. Well, I, geez, see the, I still see the opposite of that happening. And so I wanna, if you have any advice, because, you know, there is some organizations um, that people will uh, stop their priority projects that they're supposed to be working on and over-prepare for a presentation to the boss because they have to know everything and then distract their own teams from what they're supposed to be doing because they're preparing for a presentation for the boss because they have to know everything. And so your point about this could be very liberating and could actually help the organization focus on the most important things rather than just focus on reporting to the boss. Um, so your, that's advi right. your advice makes sense. Um, so I, I imagine you starting with this when you take over a team and kind of laying this out as a ground rule, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely. How right. else would you establish? You lean this? on each other for help. Yeah. Yep. It's okay to say you don't know, still be prepared, but you know, let's, let's not, cause you know, I really have seen corporations, continually just burn all the energy preparing for a presentation to the boss rather than working on the four biggest rocks or biggest deliverables they have working on. So I love this advice. Thank you for that. And you received it twice. So that's, now we've got it a third time etched on a podcast. So thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, let's, let's move more to the diversity and women leadership, which is part of our topic today. And let me ask, what is the, this is a tricky question, feel free to pick out either side of this, but what's the best and hardest part about being a female le leader in male dominated industries? Well, you know what, Rick, I don't know. Because <laughs> I, I, that's the only one I've ever been in. And I, is a male dominated industry. To, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, mean, I chose a male dominated uh, college degree as well. Yeah. But you know, the way I look at it is like this. Um, I have, you know, I look at my, my male counterparts. I have the same qualifications they do. I just happen to be female. 
And really, that's that's how I look at it. Um, and if I go back to my example of my project in, in Chevron, um, I, you know, I felt like I brought just as much to the table as they did. And actually, I think, you know, females bring even more, especially from the emotional intelligence um, side of things. So, you know, I, I it's, it's, you've got to know your stuff. There's no question about it, but so do guys. Yeah. So to me, it's, it's not really a big deal. It's just that I just happen to be female. And I would say that my female, my colleagues, my counterparts, my peers, um, we've had similar conversations and they're just, they pretty much answer it the same way. Okay. Well, I really, I just want to underline your EQ point of there, uh, the emotional intelligence side of it. Isn't it interesting, you know, when 30 years ago, it was all about the IQ and the smartest person in the room. And today, plenty of research and our experience is, is that the EI or the EQ is, is what really can gel a team, bring a team together, help creative problem solve, et cetera, et cetera. So that whole side has been well respected in the last few years as essential uh, to the successful team. So thanks for underlining that point. Okay. Um, and then what advice, Sue, would you have for male leaders on how to promote, mentor, and lead female leaders or potential leaders? Really, I would say look at look at their potential just like you look at the potential of a guy, of a male leader. Um, really, it's, it's give them those opportunities that you would give to men. Fairness. Um, and two, you know, recognize that they bring, females bring just as much or more to the table because of the EQ, because of the emotional intelligence side. So um, I would say don't look at it differently. If anything, kind of flip it and look at it that the, the females actually bring just as much or more to the table. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Before I let you go, Sue, any other advice on leadership or diversity that you want to share? Uh, yes, okay. there is. Um, find a mentor and be a mentor. I um, have been really fortunate to have some great mentors and still do today. And I still reach out to them. And, you know, when you when you you are when you have a mentor and when you are a mentor, it's a two way street. You learn so much. But, you know, they're the my mentors have been the people who encouraged me to 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 go beyond. Okay. And they also um, encouraged me to see things when I couldn't see them. So they were able to help me see my blind spots. And maybe I wasn't looking at something quite right, but it was a very honest um, relationship, which I think are so valuable. And as a leader, you know, that you need to give back too. And you mentor others. And when I have mentees, you know, what I get out of, of being with them is, is seeing something from a different perspective, which I think is incredibly valuable. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Be a mentor and find a mentor and they can really help your career move forward. And as you say, help find the blind spot. So Susan, I really appreciate you joining us and preparing for this podcast with me and, and uh, all the best in the future and uh, have a great day. Thanks, Rick. You do the same. Our next guest is Anna Jimenez with RLG International. Anna, welcome to the podcast. How are you today and where are you today? I'm great, Rick, and, and thanks for having me. And I'm in my home in uh, Castle Rock, Colorado. Beautiful Castle Rock, Colorado. Well, welcome yes. again, Anna. Thanks for joining us on this important topic. 
Anna is a longtime executive with RLG. In fact, recently she just retired from full-time work. She's held several, several leadership roles over the last 20 years with RLG and various outside boards, but she has been a vice president business unit leader for many years with RLG. Also earlier, a president of uh, RLG Defense and Aerospace. And as I mentioned, she sits on many outside boards as well. So Anna, I really wanted you to part of this podcast because of your leadership and executive experience, both within RLG and working with all our senior clients. But I want to start with your uh, kind of leadership lessons and leadership learnings. What, what experiences, good or bad, Anna, have helped define your leadership style? Well, Rick, I've certainly had a, had a good helping of both good and bad. But okay. when I think about the good, uh, I had a boss early on that uh, the first thing he would do whenever we met to catch up on projects and how things were going is he'd always say, how's Anna doing? And what that meant to me was that he cared about me. Yeah. Um, he cared about the work, but that wasn't what we talked about first. And so you know, I tried very hard uh, as a, in my career to emulate that and, and do the same thing with the coaches and the RLGers that worked for me on different projects. It, it made for such a, a richer experience for me um, in the work relationship, um, you know, we work hard all day long in client sites, but we also, you know, had time at dinners to catch up and chat. And so that experience with, with Rick, my first boss, uh, Rick Mazer, really stayed with me throughout my 24 years at RLG. Yeah, and I reported to Rick as well, and I can echo that, that uh, because he was so good at caring and showing interest in your personal side, when it came to the difficult conversations, it was a lot easier, wasn't it? It, it, it was, and uh, it's counterintuitive, I think, yeah. uh, when we're leaders to think that. Um, but it certainly made the difficult conversations easier, and uh, I trusted that he was telling me difficult things for my benefit. Wow, yeah, great point. Uh, we just finished that podcast uh, a couple weeks ago with Ron Kiskis on trust, and uh, that was one of the elements was caring and uh, intimacy, as he called it in his formula. So thank you for that insight. So along the same lines, what's the best feedback or advice you've ever had on how to lead? Uh, interestingly enough, it actually came uh, again early on in my career uh, from a coach, uh, and I was brand new. Um, and while I was good at getting to know people, and I, w I, I think I'm approachable, um, I often didn't let people get to know me. Um, and, and I guess the bottom line is, is from that feedback, he said, you know, Anna, you're not letting us know how you're thinking and what you're thinking um, and, the, and what drives the decisions that you're making. And uh, I, was, I, I took me aback. I thought, wow, you know, um, I need to be more transparent uh, and also I need to be more vulnerable. Mm. Uh, so I learned that and uh, that means owning up to and you know, talking about mistakes and or um, being transparent in difficult situations and times. And, and, uh, and again, you know, that was early in my career. And so uh, I learn it every time and, and remember it so often, um, even in, you know, my 15th to my 20th year. Yeah, so Anna, that's interesting feedback. I, I've always known you as approachable. So is this just about you know self-disclosure, or what exactly are some of the things you tried to do to to show the people that you reported to that you were more approachable or more open? 
Yeah, I think uh, talking about, you know, my family life and talking about okay. what I go through personally uh, on, a, on a client's side and the difficulties sometimes that I face and what drives my decisions, uh, how I relate to clients, and those sorts of things I wasn't necessarily, I was giving feedback on, but I wasn't saying how I had done it or how I was feeling at that moment in time when we were faced with a difficult decision or, or a difficult situation on a client site. And so, you know, it was more around um, uh, maybe I was telling a little bit too much at times, uh, but not sharing why in the background. Okay. Um, and that was, it was helpful for me to understand that. And so, um, and beginning to, even if I had, for example, if I had some, uh, you know, we move project managers around all the time and sometimes we don't know exactly when they're going to, going to where and when they're going to leave a project or go to a different client. And those are difficult conversations and they're very stressful. Yeah. And in the beginning I would wait because almost I would hold on to that information because I didn't want to upset or I didn't, you know, I, the decision hadn't been made yet, right, from an RLG perspective and, um, or, you know, RLG management perspective. And, you know, I got the feedback that they, you know, project managers want to know what's going to happen and let them decide, you know, how they tell their families and so forth. But I was hold, a lot of times I'd hold on to that until I knew exactly what was going to happen. Right. And they wanted to know, you know, all this stuff before, you know, the decision was finally made. So, mm. Love that. That makes total sense. To build trust, you have to be more self-disclosure, more vulnerable, more transparent. Great lesson. Thank you for sharing that. So, Anna, the next couple of questions are more about how do we promote um, women in leadership. So let me ask you this question to start. What is the best and hardest part about being a female leader in more male-dominated industries? Yeah, so the best part is, and funny enough, it tends to be a stereotype, but it works is that women often are looked at as caregivers, as uh, not necessarily threatening, okay. uh, or there's not an ego in there. And so in that particular case, I was often uh, able to build more, quick, more quickly relationships that made the project more effective with my client. And, and I think, and it, it's, it's speculation, but I always felt it was because one, you know, I wasn't threatening, and I certainly am a good listener, which is also a stereotype for, for females, and and um, and that helped me build a relationship. I wasn't in competition yeah. um, with the particular leader, uh, male leader I was, you know, um, you know, coaching or, you know, uh, talking to about a project. So it, it really almost kind of set everybody at, you know, even keel, and I think they were able to take feedback from me better because of that. So that was the, the interesting part, and it was very helpful um, in that relationship and, and, and our work, you know, the, the, the coaching and consulting work. I think on the difficult side, yeah. it, happen, it happened more, funny enough, it happened more uh, in the, kind of the RLG situation. And, and I'll preface this with, you know, Always the outcomes you learn from these maybe frustrating uh, scenarios. Um, so they're, they end up being very good, but at the time, you know, you have to think through some of that to understand why they're good and why, why you learn from it. Um, but, you know, we, 
we uh, oftentimes, you know, our teams don't stay intact. And so, you know, we have several people coming in and out of different projects and team members uh, coming in and out. And some are new, some are uh, experienced RLG years. But this, ha it, at first, I just thought it was an anomaly, but it happened to me more times uh, than, you know, than I can count. <laughs> and, and that was, <laughs> and that was, you know, you start a project and you're the leader, and you you know this project pretty pretty well, and so you give direction and feedback, and and oftentimes what would happen, and particularly with people that hadn't worked with me before, um, is that they would go off in a different direction, and I'm patient and I'm also very strategic, and so I would wait, I'd wait to see the outcome, even though under even in my heart of hearts knowing that that wasn't going to work out well for that coach in that particular scenario. And oftentimes uh, the coach would get rejected or the idea would get rejected or, you know, he'd get a lot of pushback from the client. We would always work through that together and eventually build a really trusting relationship. But it was always a dance. It was always a dance I knew mm. was going to happen. Um, and so I, you know, it's that, it's that, uh, I almost had to go through that to prove every time that I actually did know what I was doing. Um, and so it's not, and it, it bleeds into, I think, a question that you're going to ask me, um, in a little bit about, you know, uh, what my advice for mentoring women and leaders, but Please. The, the, the comment is around it, 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 no one, it wasn't done intentionally. So, um, you know, probably a lot of your listeners have heard, you know, about unconscious bias, and underlying that is unconscious bias. So it's not done uh, purposefully or maliciously, but we all have them, by the way. I have them, and I'll, I'll share a story in a little bit about that, but, but we all have unconscious bias, and um, my recommendation would be for people to start to understand that, is, is what are some of my unconscious bias? Because what happens is, is they either limit themselves in progressing or their teammates or the people that report to them uh, from progressing. Yeah, so on a just, and I want to, I want you to talk a little bit more about that, and I think you have a recommendation on a YouTube video for us to listen to. But the principle behind that story, uh, and thanks for sharing both the best and the hardest part, but the principle, I think, is really respect. So showing respect for whether it's a male or female leader. Um, and as you say, sometimes we're not aware or we might of our biases relative to that. But... I appreciate uh, having seen you in those situations, your patience through that as well, and that's another leadership lesson there. But I think the underlying lesson learned here is for people to understand those biases, and one of them is are you showing the same amount of respect, whether it was a male or female, and I just wanted to underline that point. Any any comment there or any any further on the unconscious bias? Uh, no, that's a very good point about about respect, and I, and I had at the time you know, translated it into um, just newness and trust and, uh, you know, me having to develop that trust with people first. But it, it is around respect, and, and you're absolutely right. Thank you. Okay, what else? Where can we learn more about unconscious bias? Because I'm not sure everybody yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, there's so much out there, Rick. Okay. So as, you know, RLG has been 
on their uh, diversity and inclusion yep. journey, and I've been digging through things and reading. It's just a lot out there. So, But there's a real quick little video, and um, the presenter in the TED Talk is uh, Kirsten uh, uh, Presner. She's, she's actually the uh, head of um, the global head of human resources uh, for Roach Diagnostics, and it's so fascinating because she's, you know, the head the head of HR is an executive, and she tells her story around how she discovered uh, her unconscious biases. And it's fascinating to see her, you know, talk about it and, and tell the story. And so the point there is, is that if, if the head of HR, whose job it is to not be biased, right. um, identifies her own, you know, that that we all have them. And we get caught up in like, a, you know, I certainly could not be, you know, biased. You know, I, you know, I grew up with a father that, you know, um, was all about civil rights, right? Okay. But even I, um, e even I have unconscious bias and, and it ref ref it's reflected in my thinking about, you know, how we, um, why we don't have females in, in RLG, uh, you know, a, uh, more females in ROG. Yep. yep. And and for many years, people would ask me, well, well why doesn't RLG hire females? I said, it's not that we don't hire them. It's that this is tough work. You know, when you look at, we move people either every 12 to 18 months if they're on a big corporation project, or we rotate them in and out of some very remote locations, which means they're two weeks on, a project in remote locations. Or four three, weeks on, four. four weeks off, yeah. Right, right. So you can imagine the family dynamics. Right. Um, and, you know, if you're young as well, uh, not a lot of opportunity to develop, you know, long-term relationships if we're moving you around every 12 to 18 months. So that's what I would tell people. But, you know, as I'm going through this journey with um, diversity and inclusion is, you know, I needed to step back and ask, well, why can't we? Why can't we do something different? Is there a different approach? Um, because I am certain that there are people out there. Maybe we're just not looking in the right places, and that's the kind of thinking. It's just about thinking. Like, how do you realize it, and then go and say, what can we do different? Is there a way to do something different? And and, and maybe we're not going to the right places to find people that family lifestyles match the work and the expectation um, of, of RLG. Uh, and so I, we're going through that process today. And without kind of doing this intense kind of internal perspective about what my internal biases are, um, we might not have asked that question. Yeah, no, very good insights. I So much to unpack there. I've got a few comments, and then I'd like to give you more time to see if anything else comes up in this area. So my friend Anil Mather uh, uh, taught me, you know, the idea that change management is really about three things, mindset, tool set, skill set. And today we're really talking about this mindset idea of uh, checking your biases. And I also listened to that. It's on TED Talk, by the way, for the listeners from Kristen Pressner. Um, I also listened to that, and it was fascinating that this female executive had the example in the video on a right was this uh, a male and a female leader coming to her for a raise in the same week and she had made excuse uh, to say yes for the male and not so much for the female and so even someone that's gone through this from a female executive perspective had their own biases and uh, that mm -hmm. was fascinating to hear and 
got me thinking, well, what, what is it that, uh, what are my biases? And, um, I think of it, I've had the same one that you have. And, and one thought I had on this was think about the excuses you make on why something's not happening, like hiring more female RLG leaders or project managers. And, um, think through those excuses and if you take away the excuse what else what what's the learning mm -hmm. there what's the nugget you could pull out if you take away the quick excuse on why it's not happening or why it is happening so yeah any any comments about any of those ideas there yeah i think you know you got to test it right and then and yeah. and, and, and she mentions that in her podcast you got to test it and if it feels uncomfortable or wrong yeah. <laughs> then you got to do more with it and uh so yeah ab absolutely I, um, there's just so much to be done there, I think. Yeah, and I really appreciate you being on. Anything else before we close on leadership or diversity that you want to comment on? Yeah, just a, a real quick thing. I think, you know, uh, you know, whether you're a female, male, or, you know, however you identify, um, you know, being a good leader is, is really around, you know, being confident in terms of being able to be your authentic self. And that gets that gets back at this whole uh, vulner the words of vulnerability and compassion. You know, I use both of those, and yeah. those words aren't aren't often heard or spoken in the hallways of large corporations um, or many companies. But but being able that is what you know um, makes a good leader is those that are confident. When you, when you think about good leaders or excellent leaders out there, you know they are confident and they are their authentic self. Um, and having the clarity about what the mission is around the work and and what your team's role is, you know, I was listening to Sue and she and she had she was bang on in terms of saying, you know, if you set your team up and the foundation for your team to be successful, then you'll be successful. You know, so many times I see you know leaders that their success is driven by what they think they have all the right answers. Um, but that's only one person. It's not engaging the team. And actually the team as a whole is the one that, you know, will drive the answers, the, the productivity. Um, and, and they're the ones that you have to build the foundation and, and make sure they have the tools and the skills to be successful. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll say is this is huge, is just being curious. Being mm. curious about your people, being curious about the work they're doing, how they're doing it, you know, what drives them. Um, and, and those are the three things that, you know, I've, I've certainly learned and, and still learning, but, but, but try to do, you know, in terms of being a good leader. Wow. It's very interesting to me as the moderator on this podcast, and we've heard from Susan Sharp already, and now yourself, and we will hear from Karina, that those similar themes, unplanned, are coming up on being your authentic self. That's the best self to be, being curious, being vulnerable, and, and then showing compassion as a leader. Um, and that doesn't mean being a pushover by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah. showing caring and self. Um, wow, uh, I've never had a podcast to come together on a few central themes. And so I really appreciate your insights on it. And thanks for uh, taking time to prepare and be on here. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks, Rick. Take care. Cheers. I'd like to welcome our next guest to the podcast. Karina Gillenwater. Karina, welcome. How are you today and where are you today? I'm great, Rick. Um, I'm in Houston uh, today, Texas, uh, just enjoying the weather over here, as you probably imagine, hot and humid. Uh, Very humid. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, you bet. 
And Karina, just for our listeners' sake, is Vice President of Human Resources for Southwestern Energy, located in Houston, Texas. And where I got to know her, she's the former VP of HR at Neighbors Industries and Schlumberger, as well as holding additional global executive positions. And Karina, I really wanted you to be a guest on our Women for Leadership podcast, and thanks again for joining us. And uh, you have a vast amount of experience in many countries, uh, so I really wanted to kind of pick your brain on a couple topics. But the first one is your experience in leadership. So Karina, what experiences, good or bad, have helped define your leadership style? Sure. Um, there, there's so much that happened that, that, that really defined who I am today and how I lead. But if we, if we speak from more broadly, uh, the themes are around trust and courage. Okay. And there's, there's lots of examples. But uh, when leaders that I interacted with or people that I interacted with really demonstrated emulating those behaviors, it had a huge impact on me. And they were negative when there was a lack of it. And there was highly positive when it was there, um, clearly to see. It was a, what an impact, you know. It was really, um, it's it's an immediate learn that you have, and it's not the courage. When I say courage, it's not really the one that's defined on Webster only, but I'm speaking more about the word as, you know, having the courage to admit mistakes and and tell people that you um, made assumptions that were not probably accurate. Um, you know, have that humility, the courage to say, I'm sorry, in any occasion, but also to stand up for you and you believe what you're doing or saying is really um, true. And, um, you know, th- this is to me is, is really uh, what it is about having the courage to stand up for your why in life and how you leave yeah. behind your why. Because it's, it's really, I've experienced so many uh, uh, instances where I try to lead from different perspectives to see if I could get a different outcome. And I come out of who I was and it didn't work. So okay. I learned very quickly that that's where, um, you know, I, I lead the best. And uh, I believe this to be true for all the leaders and the people that I speak with. As far as trust, um, you know, we use that word a lot, but I don't yep. know if we truly understand what makes it happen. The connection that we establish with people, um, it, it will impact the trust and it will impact how they see us and ultimately how they see themselves. And if they if they really see that it's an interaction where they can really have the confidence in our abilities, they have the confidence that we have their backs or they have the confidence that we can make them perform better. That's where the trust is. Uh, being able to build that is, you know, it's it's a paramount for for a good leadership. Uh, and also, if they have the conviction that if something goes wrong, you go back to them honestly and tell them, but you help them to go through it. This is what is hugely important. So no matter what the relationship is, you know, um, if your peer relationship, you're managing upwards, uh, you know, you're talking to your employees. Um, or bigger employee population, if you come across like you are transparent because it's all about communication, um, I think it immediately will foster that trust. Um, and it's easy, you know, if you lack it, um, you will suffer the consequences. And if you, if you cannot express that way, yes. needless to say, like I said, it's not easy work. It's a lot of purposeful communication. So um, maybe, effects of, maybe you just asked, answered my question, Karina, but examples how to build trust, because I, I agree with you, the, that's such an important quality and characteristics in, le- in leadership today. In fact, uh, a couple of podcasts ago, we had a gentleman on, Ron Kiskis, talking about 
how to build trust and how to build credibility and reliability. Have you got examples or thoughts on how to build trust? So I think, yes, absolutely. I think the, the, what I can express is if you are, two things are connected here. The one I said before, if you don't lead from who you are, okay. um, you don't have a lot of, you know, um, the truth that you stand for is going to start crumbling down, as an example. Um, we were in this major um, merger um, with uh, Saudi Aramco in Saudi Arabia, okay. and there were like a thousand items on the on the interactions between HR function, supply chain, and other areas that we we simply weren't we're just discovering different culture, a very tough environment, a lot of regulations from the country, but people were really expecting us to to really you know. Um, abide by what they were saying instead of lead. Well, in one of these meetings, um, and, and being a woman, I think we had 18 people in the room, and they were all male. Okay. And um, at some point, there was this big conflict between one area and the other, and they were actually saying the exact same thing. And I just, I did have nothing to do with the subject, because it was in their areas, and I was supposed to, you know, I had my part to speak. And so I stopped, and I said, excuse me. And they looked at me, obviously, not with a smile in their face because <laughs> I interrupted the conversation. And I said, I think you both gentlemen are saying the same thing. What like, A person is saying is this, 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 and that. And what you are saying, person B, is this and that. And I think you are looking to accomplish the same things. You're just not understanding what you're saying. And they both stopped and they looked at each other and they looked back at me and they said, you're right. Cool. We were. And so it, it took me, I will say this, it, it, you know, with 29 years of experience, it took me a little to do it. Um, I was nervous. Mm -hmm. I was, um, you know, um, very concerned of the impact of interrupting that heated discussion between two uh, vice presidents. One was from Aramco and the other one was from my previous company. Yeah. And, and once I did that and things got to roll in the right way and the discussions started they actually would look at me after they had these conversations uh, in other areas just to see, are we really meaning what we say? Maybe she can help. So oh, I was not only cool. respected for the intervention, but I was respected for the approach because I said, okay, I need to lead now from who I am. And who I am is clarity, transparency. We need to bring alignment here. This is awful. We're going to end up fighting on this meeting, right? What and a so that's, example. That's what, I, that's what I did. And I swear, I was sweating. I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I was authentic. And yes. I think they've noticed I was a little concerned to interrupt. But that's how you have but to that's okay. So building trust is showing who you are. Um, of course, being prepared, knowing your matter, but also be who you are. You know, people yeah. want that clarity and honesty. Thank you for sharing that example. And you built yes. credibility and you built trust through that intervention. Oh, great example, Karina. Thank you. And so, run a risk as well, Rick. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> there is. Usually when we're growing and building, we're, we're running risks. Yes. Um, very good. Um, okay, just one more question about your leadership style and your learnings there. What's the best feedback or advice you've received on how to leave, lead? So I had two mentors. One was in high school, um, and one was later in my career when I entered the oil field. And uh, one was obviously academic. The other one was the president of one of the facilities that way back when Weatherford acquired. Okay. 
Okay. And uh, one of them was to to really know your business. You know, act like the owner. That was mm. the advice that the that this person. I'll talk first about the person that um, talked to me about um, um, Weatherford. Act like an owner. Know your business. Yes. Right. And um, in school, it was interesting because I was still young to get that kind of advice. Uh, but we are in basketball, big time. I was in bas basketball three years before I started working because I started working really early. Um, yeah. and, they, and they talked about, you know, again, leading from the center of who you are. And, you know, um, because that's the purpose that you bring to life, who you are. And, and you have a purpose. And so the further you are leading from that purpose, the less authentic yes. you become. And then everything becomes draining. Coming to work or doing work becomes draining. And then ultimately you will, you know, the way you show up will slowly start fading away. And the impact you may have might also reduce. So a lot of leaders that I know continue to lead without knowing who they are and knowing their purpose. And that's sad because that's, that's once you do it, the shift is so amazing and it really impacts your leadership. Um, it works if you don't know that it, it it works against their ability to thrive not only as leaders but as human beings you have issues in your family you have it's just you know that advice to me didn't uh, mature until I entered the workforce um, another one that I've received uh, was exactly this one on the uh, leading no matter how you're leading or where you're leading or what you're doing, the courage that you have to have, the connection you have to establish with people, but also put yourself on their shoes and have some um, forgiving, you know, aspects because... Some compassion, um, yeah. Yes, compassion. I, I've worked, in, and you were part of this, Rick, I've worked in environments uh, where if I didn't have compassion, I would have probably just left the room immediately after a meeting starts. You know, right. it's just like people come with their perception, their lenses. So the connection, the compassion, and, and also, you know, this courage. And later in life, I just, I read a book from Brene Brown, and she was talking about these three things. And so Love I was her. very yep. excited, and I was humbled by the fact that I, I really heard that, and I really did that. It, it wasn't always, you know, I started my career very driven. I didn't have any compassion. Uh, the worst part is I didn't have compassion with others, but I also didn't have compassion with myself. Right. And this is the worst part, right? So yes. you, you're hard on yourself. You don't forgive your mistakes. And, yes. and so that is, to me, the key. If I can, that, that's the best advice that I can give to anyone. I wouldn't even say to females. Yeah. Well, I, there's so much to unpack in there. Let me, let me uh, see if I can get you to expand at least one of these ideas that you've shared with us. Thank you so much. This know yes. your purpose idea is something that uh, you and I have a connection and uh, self-belief on. And it's a fact, I think my second podcast, uh, this is number 22, but understanding your purpose, your mission, how do you do that? Karina, what, what advice do you have for people? How did you do that? Because you've stressed that a few times now. Yes. And I believe yes. it's important as well. How, or can you share what you did to define or understand so I had two phases where I discovered that uh, Rick okay. one of them I can say I was completely blind I didn't know that that even was a possibility okay. people talked you know I, I was raised in a Christian home so people talk about purpose all the time in church and okay. things like that but bringing that into the work environment and then yeah. closing the loop was much later in life for me at the beginning when I was still blind to it 
uh, I felt this. Every time that I worked uh, with something and I felt passionate and energized by okay. it, I, I fully turned my attention to it. I tried to make it, you know, spread all over my day. And that was where my purpose lied and I did not know it. Okay. But then like what that. happens is... That's the, I think is the first stage for you to identify. That's kind of a you're tell. Doing, yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. tell. It's energizing. Yeah. It's exciting. You don't yeah. get tired, whatever that is. Yeah. Then there's an interruption. Um, you will likely have things from your growing up years interrupting that. Okay. And it will be always in a negative way. It's never going to be in a positive way. So being aware to identify what that is so it doesn't get in the middle of your purpose. Okay. What what is that? More more candidly sharing. I had things in my uh, early years that put uh, put some beliefs in my mind, and when I was in the middle of leaving my purpose, I didn't believe I was able to do it. And so, being able to identify that that's not now, that's back then, and it's the past, and it doesn't belong to who you are today, mm -hmm. it's key to unlock that. Okay. And and I could only do that later in life with when I started developing. You know, we did. A, um, we are still in the middle of the process, doing a development, um, leadership development, more towards uh, personal leadership. Yep. And so I learned that we had really strong people working with us, and that's when the self discovery. It's very important because you will interfere in your purpose, and you have to be aware. Then later. What happens is you get so refined about it, about it that you are able to reflect about the purpose. You are able to reflect about who you want to be and who you are. You are able to reflect what you want to bring to the world, and it becomes almost like your mission statement. That's yes. why I'm here. Yes. And so you kind of have that, you know, uh, standing up in front of you 24/7, because that's that's what gives you life. That's what energizes you. That's that's the best way you lead. That's the best way to be a mother or a dad. That's the best way to have relationships with people. So the closest you stay to that, it's almost like world will take care of it because you are in it. And it's, yep. it's it becomes a little bit, um, how do I say, esoteric or whatever. But it's like if you if you are in it, it's like there's a positive conspiracy around it, <laughs> Love it. that will have yeah that will have that will have you thrive because you stay in it yeah. and it's it's been the it's been this way for me for not too long the last probably four years yeah um four to five years i think right when you and i met first time that's when i was starting the real discovery so okay it's a long how but this is my experience about it well, I think you're absolutely right, and I love that simple tell that whatever you feel energized and passionate about is probably something really close to your purpose, and yes. that you should develop that skill set and hone it and work with it. And, you know, Karina, quite frankly, that's why I'm doing these podcasts, because this idea of promoting continuous improvement is in my purpose and in my mission. So I think you've uh, hit the nail on the head there. So. Thank you so much. And, you know, it's interesting that Susan and Anna have also talked about authenticity and, and staying close to your purpose. So this is a very common theme in all three uh, interviews oh, on wonderful. this podcast. Yeah. So let me uh, pick your brain in on, uh, on the woman in leadership idea and how we can promote it. And a couple questions there that I've been asking. Uh, first of all, what's the best and hardest part, uh, Karina, about being a female leader in male-dominated industries? Can you articulate that? Yes, yes. Um, that's a great question. 
Um, so I was born in Brazil, raised in Brazil, okay. and my first job was in uh, very short. Is it was in an industry that was male dominated immediately, and then I went. I entered into the oil field when I was 17. So I started working really early, 14, and it was never like you know easy to to um, understand the how the male uh, workers or how the the, the let's say the, the professionals that I interacted with that were male uh, thought. Um, I was trying to always put myself on their shoes. I was trying to always understand where they're coming from. But it, an interesting fact about that is that I've never did that because I was a female. Okay. I did that because I wanted to learn the business. And because I had grown in, also it helped me the fact that I was raised in a family that's, um, we were half Brazilians and half Italians with generations of very strong women uh, from both sides of the family, Good. they never pointed out, you know, you are a girl and you're going to get into this business and it's going to be hard. And so they never pointed out gender differences to me, okay. nor did they act like there was one. And I, and I can stay here and talk about the whole day about my grand-grandmother, my grandmother, and, you know, um, their husbands passing away when they were before 40 years old. They were raising 10 children by themselves. I mean, I can wow. talk all day here. Okay. But... <laughs> Yeah, so I was never put in that place of, oh, you know, you are a female, watch out now. So therefore, I believed that I, I was raised sort of blind to gender differences. And I always thought I could be as good as my fellow male coworkers. That's why I put myself in their shoes, tried to understand how they think, and tried to understand where they're coming from. I never felt in disadvantage. I think that's a big, big word here. Yeah. So that looks very uh, positive, but I, I really think that um, helped propel my career differently. So the opportunity to help others to, to see the world like I was seeing, um, that, that makes probably, is the, it was the best part for me, is to, is to give that. And the females will come to me and say, why don't you think, you know, this is being this because you're a female? No, I don't because, and I always had the logic behind it, right? Okay. Now the hardest part for me, um, that I consider being the positive, what I just said. Okay. The hardest part for me was not having a technical background. So because I don't have a technical background and because I'm a woman, uh, meaning probably couldn't do hard, you know, lifting or anything like that, there have never been times where um, I feel like I have to work harder to influence areas or outcomes um, involving technical issues. But I also believe I could have had some assignments that were not given to me because of that. Okay. So whether it was because I was a female or not, I don't know uh, for sure. Until today, I don't know. Maybe it was a good thing. Maybe it was a blessing. Maybe it wasn't. You know? So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, but the not having that technical background and being on the oil field since day one, probably to me was the most difficult part. Okay. But but I never felt that my ideas were not heard. I never felt. I mean, and when I say I think you propelled my career. If you remember the experience in Saudi Arabia, you know, as in 2000, and I joined SWIN in 2018. In 17, I went to Saudi four times. Okay. 16, I was there for five times, all the time interacting with this business people. Never felt the difference. And I think when you don't feel the difference, you don't believe there's a difference, people know that. And, and it's like they just treat you normal. I just never felt that in my career. Oh, that's great. Good for you. So what... What advice do you have for male leaders on how to promote or mentor or lead female leaders or potential female leaders? I would say, you know, for male leaders, 
and uh, and also for female leaders because I'll tell you, Rich, sometimes, uh, Rick, we we emphasize the differences, and we do that, you know, for one reason or the other. But again, if you are leading from our purpose, which is anything, but I doubt it, somebody is born with the purpose of showing people differences. Yeah. So if you're leading from that beautiful space, I would say so much the males uh, or the female mentors, I would say teach them how they focus on other things other than gender diversity, other than color, other than anything, for, for that matter, any differences. Prepare them with the knowledge that they need. Prepare them with the experiences that they need to go through that will kind of enrich their background and what are the skills that they need so that they don't even have the fear, or if they have, it will help them to lose the fear and create that courage that they need to, to build confidence and also to be able to speak their minds and participate, um, to be heard and respected. Uh, I would say help them to dream big jobs. Why not? You know, yeah. I want to be the CEO. Well, that's great. Let's, let's map, like, how do you get there? Yeah. And, you know, big challenges. I want to do this. It needs to give them that butterflies on their stomach for them to learn. So that's the kind of assignments they'll say, well, let's just step progress here. You know, that's a biggest stretch for her. Well, no, you are believing in something that has not been shown to you at, yet. So give them the big assignments, have them to stretch, and then see what's coming. I'm, I'm absolutely Great sure they'll step up to it. Yeah. And then, you know, there's this TED talk that I, I heard, okay. um, I listened to. There's this lady um, giving the TED talk. She starts by saying, Parents uh, to not have their female children play safe. That's what she was asking. Parents, please do not have your female children to play safe. That's the biggest mistake you can make to their lives. Because then they're raised too cautious or what was the... Because she made the difference. She said, when you have male children, they're jumping off of a cliff. They're they're throwing themselves on the couch and you are encouraging. Okay. And the females, you're, you're, you're asking for them to be careful with. Don't do that. And yeah. it's very natural. Don't see them from their weaknesses. See them right off the bat from their strengths, right? And okay. I think that's a big starting point. Start when it's young. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Great insights, Karina. And thank you for that inspirational challenge for big jobs and big challenges. I love that. Absolutely. So, Karina, anything else on leadership or diversity before we close? I think I'll share some thoughts on DNI. Okay. Um, I've been I've been always been very inclined, and that's one of the areas that I really have passion: uh, the diversity in all aspects. So, like I mentioned before, I think I'm blind for differences, and that helped my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, diversity to me and inclusion are are different things, right? They, to me, one diversity is more about the numbers and the KPIs and how many people you can bring to the company and things like that and make sure that you have different everywhere. Inclusion to me is much deeper and it's more about having these people to participate with their thoughts, with their experiences. Um, Make sure you include them on the talk, not only on the numbers. So I think it's, it, it does need to be explained how much, richness you can get from diversity on all aspects um, and, and it's it that has to become almost like it cannot even be um, you know that's our goal or that's our vision no it has to be your value for it to work okay. and um, so th- there is a podcast that I listened to not too long ago 
the podcast is from Future Fluency and it's called The Safety Dance. And it's very interesting because there's different people talking, but one of the participants said something that um, simplified, and I'm, I, I'm all about simple, Rick. And it okay. said, diversity is when you are invited to the ball. Inclusion is when you can actually freely dance. Oh, very nice. <laughs> it can it can immediately, you know, in one sentence, he he probably summarized everything I said. And I thought this was great. Um, when you can freely participate, when you are included, there is not a thought of, oh, I have to include this and that, when it's natural and you can dance between quotes. I don't think there's no need to stress any differences. Oh, and, great, great advice. Karina, we had a... My youngest daughter got married on a Friday night in our backyard, oh, and uh, they had a dance at the end there. And um, the young people, about 50 of them, jumped in the pool at the end of it. So uh, they were freely dancing. So we got an example <laughs> right there. <laughs> and Cheryl no and I and some about... of the older people were looking yeah. like, what the heck? In their brand yes. new suits. And... I bet nobody looked at you and said, can I jump on your pool? <laughs> yeah, they were freely they just dancing. Felt... Yeah, they felt that they were included, period. Yeah, yeah there you that's go. That's funny. Congratulations, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Thank you very much. Karina, thank you. I really appreciate you taking time to prepare for this podcast and sharing your insights and thoughts and about leadership and about women in leadership and how to promote more women in leadership. And I really appreciate your time and have a great day. Oh, thank you very much for having me here, Rick. This was, this was very nice. Oh, and you. you have a great day, too. Yeah, thanks. I'd really like to thank Sue, Anna, and Karina for joining us on this podcast and sharing their perspective on women in leadership. Uh, very inspiring. Weren't you inspired by their insights? Uh, took a lot of courage. They shared their insights in such a classy way. You know they've had biases in their career and they have de dealt with it with class and grace. Appreciate them for being on. Let's finish our podcast where we started. The premise was learning from and promoting women in leadership. Terrific insights from all three leaders. Great leadership lessons such as getting to know your employees personally, value, diversity, and gender, race, but also thought and approach. Treating people with respect came out of many of their examples. Having the courage to speak up and to say sorry. And finally, to be authentic. That is the most long-lasting and energizing and sustainable way to lead. Be inclusive, invite people to the dance, and then let them do their own dance. And then find your purpose and lead with your purpose. Um, I'll close with this thought that Anna shared with us. I'd encourage everybody to find that TED Talk by Kristen Pressner, the Global Head of Human Resources at Roche Diagnostics, and learn about our own and study our own biases. Finally, go ahead. Give female leaders and future leaders a chance, big responsibilities and big opportunities, and then mentor them, them to success. Thanks for spending some of your precious time with us on this podcast. Please subscribe and share this podcast with industry professionals. Let's all make a step change in how we work with and promote women in leadership. Until next time, live a life of sustainable, continuous improvement. Goodbye.